Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kibbe. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Yes, that's me, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you, Mr. Altan, for, yes, introducing us to another fun-filled episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, this week, I am joined by Rick Rivkin of We Do Better. Uh, now, I know Sarah Brady Wagner beat me to the punch for the big channel at WOW uh, by getting Dan Johnson on, who is one of the uh, the co-founders of We Do Better. Uh, but today, I was joined by Rick, who uh, was more from the, the media side of, of We Do Better to discuss some of their great wins and, and how they actually have been successful at We Do Better in terms of getting their outreach out there. So uh, we're going to discuss outreach methods for grassroots, uh, forms of different media, and then really talking about the uh, the intricacies of the tax credits that We Do Better really focuses upon. So uh, without further ado, on to the show today, Rick Rivkin from We Do Better here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, sir. Well, you're you're coming from an organization that, I mean, it should need no introduction, but I'm going to give it one anyways, because damn it, I'm the host. And uh, that is the organization We Do Better. Uh, now, I've had your 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 consigliere, John Chang, on from Otters Talking Politics. And actually, he was the one who introduced me to, uh, to Dan, who is one of the founders of We Do Better. And uh, We Do Better is essentially what? Rick, if you can give us the, the SparkNotes version of who you guys are, uh, who you guys are over at We Do Better. Sure. So We Do Better is a grassroots organization. We operate throughout the country. And basically what we exist to do is to empower uh, charities and companies that do better than the government to actually continue to fill on their missions. Basically, we want to help spread the word and we want to make sure that the correct uh, legal thing, you know, legislation is in place to help to make sure that happens. So essentially what you're saying is that you do better than the government does in terms of actually enacting these social programs that that will help those people who are in need or, or just the areas of need within the, the particular market the government has tried to fill. Essentially, we do better does better. Correct. And and really, we are we are standing on the shoulders of the the organizations that are out there doing the hard work. So that's why. We started our media arm. So just to give you a quick example. Uh, people are familiar with Habitat for Humanity. They build affordable housing for people. Well, they do better than your local HUD office. So we talk about organizations like Habitat, and then we want to make sure that tax dollars go to Habitat rather than HUD. That's the idea. 
So you mentioned grassroots, and that seems to be like really where we do better gets the the umption to to keep moving. So um, I'm I'm just curious too because I obviously having you on my show as as a spokesperson essentially from We Do Better, how you got involved in We Do Better? Were you a result of a more grassroots type of a, of approach as well? Uh, not really, actually. So I'm I'm really more with the digital side, the online side. And that's how I found Dan Johnson, our founder, and how I found We Do Better, was I was watching uh, uh, one of these libertarian podcasts, and Dan Johnson was being interviewed. And so I I filled out the the form to get contacted. You know, I said, sign me up for whatever you got. And you know, he gave me the astronaut position, basically. I said you, you're going to be live on. <laughs> You're going to be our spokesperson. I said, great. I mean, that's not a uh, necessarily a, a bad way to start with an organization, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah, well, we actually started um, working on writing articles, but uh, we, Dan and I had decided that video and, you know, sort of the podcast news show type of type of media was a better, it was a better medium for what we wanted to do. Um, so yeah, that, that evolved a little bit in the last, uh, six months or so. Awesome. So, so like, that's, uh, I mean, we're, we're going to swing back obviously to discuss more of the outreach programs and, and the grassroots programs that, that we do better does, but first let's, let's talk about that role right there. So the, the media arm of we do better. So start with that kind of dig into what you guys have been doing and the reception, the feedback you've received so far. Great. So we just went live, uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, so on, you know, May 22nd, we had our second news show. Uh, we're on a weekly clip right now. We got a news show a week. We're doing a half hour piece. So it's me um, and I've got, you know, some visuals and some points. And really what I what we walk through are what are some developments that we're seeing, you know, is there a company that came out with a new technology? Is there a solution to something that we picked up on that's usually not talked about? Um, so, for example, on the show we just did, we were talking about how uh, psilocybin got legalized, or I mean, sorry, decriminalized in Denver. Um, and there's all these MDMA trials um, that are going on. People probably know about them already. But they're actually getting to phase three with the FDA, and there's you know there's all this movement, and so we wanna we wanna make sure that people know what's happening. We wanna pe- we want people to know that the world's actually getting better. <laughs> I right. Mean, so I mean, I really, I don't mean to interrupt. It's just it's funny because um, when when you ask that question, right? Like, is is the world poverty? Let's say better off now than it was twenty years ago. Over ninety percent of Americans think it's it, it's actually worse. When in reality, the exact opposite is, is, is true. And you have organizations like, um, oh, what is it? Uh, think progress. Is that, no, is that the name of it? What's the name of that organization that does all the capitalism? Um, not necessarily capitalism. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's an organization out there. It's a really great free market organization. And they, they raise awareness to what is actually happening in terms of the global poverty rates being decreased. And it is almost always due to the fact that there's a free market solution or that the people who were facing extreme poverty and 
in these you know tyrannical socialist or or dictatorships that now they're being exposed to free market capitalism and oh my gosh lo and behold their lives get better and you actually see not only the the decrease in poverty but then the decrease in other associated uh poverty associated uh illnesses and so forth like uh you know hunger and and people who are no longer facing uh these these terrible diseases and it's it all it all kind of you know snowballs essentially but it's really when they get a jolt of this free market experience. Yeah, it's like people are talking about how how healthcare is right now. It's like, dude, you couldn't be like a hundred years ago, you know, you had to have like five kids to keep three. And now we're talking about you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> infant mortality has dropped and we're so rich that we can even have that kind of conversation. So yeah, anyway. Oh, it's human. By the way, it's it's human progress. It's human progress from Cato. That's that's. I knew it wasn't think progress because think progress is the uh, the leftist rag that's like up there with Slate and and Vox and stuff. So I apologize to the great people over at Human Progress as a part of Cato. Cato, I know a lot of them listen to the show, and I don't want them to think that I'm at all confusing them with with think progress. So just so we're clear there. Yeah. So um, and then we also bring on. So in addition to catching people up on you know, to extent we can, what are some good things happening? We also go a little, we go a little deeper. We'll bring on a guest. We'll do a short presentation on uh, something, a, a situation where a company or a, char- or a charity did better than the government, where they spent less money, got more done, you know, took out the inefficiency or just, just had better service. So right. there's plenty of those uh scenarios that we find and so we've got plenty to talk about there now the thing that i want to add that's really important for liberty-minded people is that the thing that we do differently in our show and all of our messaging whether you know and particularly on the show is is we don't get adversarial about it you know like we keep it pretty we keep it pretty clean, even even if I am a libertarian, right? Uh, I'm not I'm not dropping like any of the libertarian cliches into the conversation. It's it's as if it were, you know, a guy on like Thompson Routers talking about it or something. Well, that's how that's- it has to be, right? I mean, because if you're having a conversation with someone who has no idea about libertarianism, there's your average Joe up the street, or you know, one of your random coworkers you've never really had too much of a conversation with, and you start dropping, you know, Rothbard and Hayek, and and you go you go through and you're talking about the non-aggression principle. They're gonna be like, what the. F- Freak, are you guys, what are you talking about? And it's going to completely alienate them. So to have a conversation that's a real conversation with real people, that I think that does infinitesimally more you know, value than, than otherwise. Yeah, and it's funny. I have a, so I'm in Austin, Texas, and there is a voluntarist meetup that I go to. And so it's, it's funny. Like, so all my buddies there will talk about Rand and Rothbard and all that. And when I when I met Dan and I got started, we do better. I had to actually deprogram myself <laughs> just to talk like a normal person and to write like a normal person again, because I had I I had kind of overstudied and kind of gotten I mean I drank the libertarian Kool Aid yep. to the point where I had to to put all that jargon back in the 
you know, back in the closet, so to speak. Yep. It's funny, like, I don't, <laughs> on a little rant here, when I was actually in an Uber back uh, this past weekend, I uh, I had a gentleman in the car with me, and, and I... I talked to him as if I was a political novice. Like I was, you know, talking about the, you know, what Trump's doing that's good and what's bad. And I was just doing it in, in a almost like an ignorant kind of, of statement because I, I was like, you know, just talking about things in a very, very, you know, low level, you know, just very headline grabbing way. Just because that's how most other people talk. Honestly, I mean, you you stand by your water cooler, you don't hear you know Susie and Bill talking about you know some intricate principled value that Trump holds when he's making a Supreme Court nomination. It's it's more along the lines of oh my God, you see that stupid thing that Trump said to the Chinese? Like okay, we're gonna go to war, and and that's that you have to have the ability to talk to somebody who that's their level of communication when it comes to politics. Yeah, and really what we're finding and kind of our thesis going into this this media venture is that is that people actually don't want to be talking about that stuff. It's just that's what they're getting fed. Yep. You know, that's that's what's out there. If you you know, whether you go to CNN or you go to Breitbart, whether you're on Drudge or MSNBC, you're getting like I was talking to Dan. I call it Fed news. It's like <laughs> it's about like Congress, Congressman this, Congresswoman this, Trump that, you know, Mueller this. It's like, what does that have to do with me in Austin, Texas? Yep, one hundred percent. Right. Yep. And that's it's. I think it goes to a greater problem in America. And actually, I'm, I think I'm going to do this little Twitter experiment is to just to post a poll and say, what's the more important election? And then have like president, U.S. Senate, Congress, or school board. Now, obviously, the answer is school board. But I, I and I think a lot my audience and my my Twitter followers are actually you know I, I think they won't fall for the debate. But if it was just a gen, a generic audience or, or a generic crowd that that was you know very uh, nonpartisan, maybe we'll say they're just not necessarily aware to the importance of of local politics. I can almost you know, guarantee that they would say, well, president, obviously, they're the person who runs the country. Now, the fact that they probably would assume that the president is the person who runs the country is terrifying enough, but they don't realize <laughs> they don't realize how actually important their local vote is for a school board election. And I mean, I don't mean to, to go on a rant, but yesterday was primary day and also school board elections up in New York State. So my, my father's the elections commissioner for my home county. And only 171 people went out to vote out of a registered voting base of over 5,000 people for my local uh, school district. And and that's like, well, that's that's insane. Like, only 171 people are deciding on how your, your school's budget is going to be passed, whether or not it's going to be passed, that is, and how that's going to directly impact your property taxes because of your, your apathy in not voting. Yeah, and that's why the it's kind of like the school board guy guess he's, he's got to get on youtube and facebook now to make anything happen it's insane i mean like people just I, I don't know what we have to do besides what we're doing right now having a conversation and trying to, to raise awareness to, to wake people up to the importance of, of voting local so let's actually go back to point number one that we discussed for we do better and that's the grassroots outreach what have you guys been finding in terms of of success and some wins with some gra- um, some grassroots outreach to actually help direct people towards m- maybe more local charities or ways that they can make a, a true impact in th- their local communities without having to use uh, government force. Yeah. So currently, 
we've gotten we've gotten bills introduced. We had a bill introduced in California last year. It got shot down in a committee. God bless California. All right. (laughs) And that was that was one of our tax credit programs. And so we have some model legislation called the Universal Charitable Credit. And what and I'll explain why this is important for grassroots is that you've got tax bills at you know state and county levels uh you know whether that's income tax most states have income tax uh everyone's got property tax you've got some sales tax in there so between individuals and corporations there's somewhere where a tax credit could work right in california income tax would probably be the most obvious so um and so what the credit does is let's say you have a tax bill, $5,000. The credit basically allows you to take about 500 of it and direct it to a charity with no one in between. So if I want to give 500 bucks to Habitat for Humanity, instead of it going to the state of Texas, it goes straight to Habitat. Gotcha. And and have you found that that's been a an accepted approach for for people who maybe didn't know that that was an option otherwise? Yeah. So, well, the thing is, is before We Do Better even got started, there was a credit and still is a credit in Arizona. So there's a charitable credit in Arizona, and it's currently. I'm going to just use the word siphoning, siphoning $100 million away from the government and back into charities, right? So those funds are going straight to charities. Projections put it well over $100 million for you know the next fiscal year. So we knew that that model worked. Uh, the founders of, the, or of We Do Better had gone out and interviewed the politicians, the charities, the people involved, and found that it, it was just something that people liked. It was just an idea that made sense to people. The only people that need convincing really are politicians because they have something to lose. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> right. Because uh, you're, you're trying to take gravy off the cart so or off the train. Um, but for, for just like an average everyday Joe, it makes sense. Right. And we're right. seeing like, now we've got it. We've got it introduced in. Dan's going to kill me. Is it Indiana? I think it's Indiana. Don't worry. Indiana. See, the, the beautiful thing about the Brian Nichols show is that we have an amazing note section for every podcast. So I, I put everything that we're going to discuss today in the note section. So if folks are looking to to find you know more about We Do Better or just find more about the the successes you guys have had. They can go to the note section and go there and everything can be found. Um, so my audience, again, I, I, I truly believe this, Rick. My audience is the, the most well-educated audience around. Not gonna, I'm not going to lie. Well, that's a pretty high standard. Hey, what can I say? I have a pretty high standard for my audience. You and got I, me I, on the show. <laughs> I, I also hope that they hold me to that standard. So so hopefully it's a mutually beneficial relationship. But anyways, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. So uh, hopefully, referring to it, it was in Indiana maybe? Yeah, I want to say Indiana. We've got Indiana and North Carolina. We've got bills introduced there. So it's going to go it's going to go through the the political process at the state level, you know, next year once they're back in session. So, let's um kind of do like a a 180 
from discussing the, the outreach and the grassroots and actually making legislative change and talk about how people in states where the tax credit is allowed that they can they can then use their money instead of going towards the government towards one of these nonprofits. So if you could, let's kind of um, circle to that and and you can maybe go into explaining more of the legalese and what people would actually have to do to make that happen. Sure. So in in Arizona where it's most prevalent, um, it's simply a it's simply a form when you when you file your state income tax you you basically fill out a form saying, yeah, I want to direct it to this nonprofit. You know, maybe you just double check to make sure they're registered with that state. Um, and then that's it. And then your funds go there instead of into the state treasury. And so that's really, that easy. Wow. Of, yeah. So in terms of the awareness, well, you just have to make sure that people know the form, people know the limits, you know. It's a different amount whether you're single or married. Um, so you just have to know that. So there is a level of outreach that's required, but you know, when it's simple, it's as simple as, hey, when you file taxes, use this form. That's pretty. That's pretty easy to get across to people. Yep. Let me ask you this, and this is a little off topic, but it's just one of the things that I've been trying to kind of juggle with myself, and that's. Like when we're promoting libertarianism to to the the, the you know the culture at large, if I if you will, um, I, I get nervous because I I know our ideas are right. I know that the the way that we're promoting the ideas of non aggression and, and essentially not hurting people, not taking people's stuff, and and using the free market as a tool to fix the the various issues we have in society. I then look at the apathy that exists in people who who genuinely don't know what's going on, and they I think they kind of have surrendered their awareness to you know whatever the news may be or just learning more about the political process because it seems like you know the the name elected official A B C D has has basically been elected now they're institutionalized in, in Washington as the establishment and and they're just going to take care of it for me so I don't need to to worry about this and look at all these government programs here I, I don't need to worry about this. Do you think that we're having a problem in terms of addressing the reality that people have become so apathetic that if we start to point people more towards these free market solutions, that that they won't make a voluntary choice to contribute to help these people in need? Well, if you, if we had the tax credit passed in every state in some form and we went out there and pitched it and sold it door to door flyers you name it we we it's we would see something happen because because in Arizona it's grown almost any government any legislation that allows for credit like sometimes there are i know Florida has a scholarship credit for corporations they they have to set limits on on the amount of money they allow to be diverted or else they'll just, they'll just clean out the, the, the coffers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's re- really like people just don't know and they don't know that they don't know. Yep. That makes like, sense. You know, they, they just have no idea that this stuff is out there. And so when, and again, it goes back to like, it also goes back to the media. Right. 
all you're seeing is coverage about this state program, that state program, free college, forgive college debt, you know, this <laughs> welfare, that welfare. I mean, cancel my so debt, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's all like, that's all, that's just some people's minds, right? And my hunch is that people are not really sold on, on the whole government thing. But they just don't know what else there is. And then as libertarians, when we go out there and talk to people, part of the problem is bridging that gap between our like Rothbardian utopia and our current, you know, highly indebted, mixed economy, police state, whatever we got going on right now. What's what's in between? That's what's important because the theory, the theory can come later, right? And and I think I don't think everyone needs to know all the libertarian theory, the economics, and all that, um, because it comes down to being a good person, having common sense, um, and and picking the right things for society. So if we just have to keep presenting and keep pitching, really, and we got to refine our pitch, it's, that's kind of that's our whole thesis that we do better. And I mean, it's it's a great pitch because it, I mean, what what better uh, you know what better uh, opportunity for like a marketing or PR person, right, to to basically just say we know we can do better, we are doing better. And and then you can point to the you know dozens if you know oh, heck we'll say hundreds of examples where it actually is being done better. Um, so I mean that I think that's a very contagious message. And I think the seeing what you guys are doing over at We Do Better Now, and it's it okay. I came in with a little bit of a sense of pessimism because I just have a general uh, you know just frustration with the apathy that exists out there. But to see like you were mentioning in Arizona, that's actually having you know a, a real substantive difference. That gets me, you know, some hope. It, it makes me more excited for the future versus where I was, we'll say, five minutes ago. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to be that. Let me just let me just tell you that. So, so Rick, let's um, let's let's wrap up here if we could. Um, for you, I just want to know where you came from. So, like, what was the the main thing that kind of set you off on this this libertarian, you know, liberty venture that you you found yourself in, and now as a, one of the, uh, the the top guys there over at We Do Better. Well, are you, do you want to know how I became a libertarian? You know what? How you became a libertarian and then how you got involved in the movement. Let's, let's do both because I think the origin stories are always so fascinating because I think a lot of people hear themselves in the origin story and it makes them feel like, okay, I get it. And now I, I know how to impact other people to bring them into the movement. Yeah, so I grew up kind of all over the place. My, my dad uh, is a businessman and so got a lot of exposure to different places and he he's kind of like a republican he so i, I kind of had that influence right dad's a republican conservative you know i grew up gung-ho about capitalism right um so i had that conservative lean in the beginning um and when I was in high school, I, I took a model United Nations debate class and man, I was good at it. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> I was good at it. Like but Ben Shapiro I... good against against you know, destroyed college student good. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, there were some times when we were having debates, like like kids would just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh wow, he was good. It's uh, you know, it's like it's in um uh, Billy Matt was it Billy Madison or yeah Billy Madison where he's like playing the uh, <laughs> the clarinet and he just stops. He's like, he's good. <laughs> So, but anyway, the the prep that I had to do for the debate class was like, because in the modern nations, you would get assigned a country. And so there's one time where I was Russia. And so I prepped as the Russian delegate. And what I had to do was go read 30 articles on Russian foreign policy. That sounds so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) you know, to the average person, it probably sounds terrible, but I was getting off on it. Anyway. <laughs> so I realized like really quick that it was all a charade because here you had these high schoolers. They could pretty much with some prep, like don a costume and fake what was going on in the real world when it came to geopolitics. And so it kind of just had me thinking like, Okay, number one, the UN's a bit of a joke because you've got all these different committees and councils and they they kind of have authority, but they don't. And then people sign treaties, but, you know, really the security council's behind everything. And so it's just this weird, it was just really weird to, to get to know a lot about the United Nations. And that's where my, the seeds of doubt started to creep in for me was was learning about the United Nations. <laughs> and so uh, fast forward a couple years, I stumbled across Stefan Molyneux. Uh, and you know, I don't know how many people he's woken up. But this was Molyneux probably five years ago. And I started reading his books. That's actually where I started. So I read his books about you know, what What would a completely libertarian society look like? And so I really, the idea really just caught on with me. It made sense logically. It made sense emotionally. You know, the things I'd seen um, living in different places and just seeing how the different kinds of government didn't really work. Um. You know, I always wondered what what was actually missing. And the thing that was missing was freedom, right? And that freedom, and then also, it's kind of like, there's this thing that's like, it's like people, uh, let me me back up a little bit. So I'm also, (laughs) total monkey wrench, I'm also half Belize. Okay, so my my mom's from Myanmar, which is a country in Southeast Asia with about 60 million people. And uh, mm-hmm. show notes, look it up. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have a whole bunch of family there, and it's a complete banana republic. Third world country, you know, the lights go on and off, you know, like that whole thing, right? And so, but I've spent a lot of time there, and I saw that, well, there's a national democratic league. There's like a there's like a democracy party. But they don't know what they're doing. 
because these people had lived under the thumb of socialism for over 50 years. And so they don't even know what to do with the freedom if they got it. Right? So while the government might be opening things up, the, the people still don't know what there is to do. And so I got that a lot of the hang-ups around libertarianism and the freedom movement was like, if there wasn't a state, people, people wouldn't know what to do. Um, I hope that answers part of my origin story. No, it for sure. Really just a mixture of like kind of seeing, just observing the world around me and then coming across, you know, major authors. Cause then after Molyneux, I, I kind of read some Rand, I read some Rothbard, you know, and so on. So, and, um, and the reason I, the reason I always ask my guests how they got to where they are politically is because I genuinely believe that that might be the most important part in helping transition other people. So like, I mean, I came from more of the, the, the right wing conservative neocon approach and then you know, slowly, as I got more and more aware of the fact that the, the Republican Party was just losing um, the, the I used to call it the, the socially accepting and economically smart group of people. Uh, and then I came to realize it's because, oh yeah, because they're not economically smart, really. They're, and they're not really pro-civil liberties. And I found the Libertarian Party being really the party of don't, hurting pe- don't, don't hurt people and don't take people's stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. But then I listened to Steffi Cole from, from the, uh, the Libertarian Republic, and she was on the, the Rebellion with Banks and Shane. And her origin story is completely the opposite, where she started out as a you know far-left commie, essentially, and, and then just slowly started going down a libertarian rabbit hole. And lo and behold, now she's like super libertarian. She does a, a book review every Sunday over at the Libertarian Republic. And it, it's just, it's so fascinating to see two entirely different people coming from two entirely different ways of thinking. And then somehow, miraculously, ending up at the exact same conclusion in, in terms of ideology, but in completely different ways. So I think if we're able to see how those stories happen, and then to be able to talk to people um, who are maybe starting off in that particular camp, then we can start to, to do the same things that happen to us or happen to other people that are now libertarians to help change their minds and help to influence their, their decision-making and such. So that's why I always hate people who are like, oh, we shouldn't be trying to win over Republicans. We shouldn't be trying to win over you know liberals and, and, and socialists and Democrats. It's like, no, 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 no. We need to win over everybody because the reality is we're still a third party because a lot of people don't register or self-identify as libertarians. We need to do something different. And that means bringing people into our groups, yes, from different ways of thinking and helping them become libertarians along the way. So I know it's a little off topic from, from talking about what we, uh, you guys do over what we do better, but still, I think it's a very important way also just marketing and messaging how we actually do better in terms of not only our ideologies, but also our solutions. And in this case, for we do better, what you guys do in terms of actually making the difference in you know various communities, whether it's something with, with poverty or, or building homes or, or you know food, whatever it may be. So... That, I think, if we could put a nice bow on the episode, I think that's the, the really the, the call to action, if you will, for my audience to, to go forward and, and make a real difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the great thing about the libertarian movement is that it's the only movement that makes any sense. Uh, it's the only movement Valid, that really yeah. has any principles. Um, and uh, did you want me to share a little bit more about... Uh, how I got involved with the bear. I thought I shared earlier in the show. Did you it, want me? Yeah, absolutely. Like, let's just, yeah, recap? really quick. Um, just recap it. So, um, the audience can again, get that kind of 
true, I guess, you know, take on, on how you got to, to We Do Better and maybe what it was about We Do Better that, that made you more excited to, to be a, a part of it? Yeah, so I was listening to uh, an interview. It was, it was Jeff Berwick from the Anarchast interviewing Dan Johnson and We Do Better. Uh, I was probably, you know, sometime on a weekend. I was bored, wants me to watch. I was listening to the interview and I, again, it was one of these times where I was like, this is, it was the only thing that I had heard in years of being libertarian that I saw that was actionable. Um, that, that, oh, one, we need to spread the message. And then two, we need to start diverting our funds back into charities and businesses, right? Because the money is, you know, the money is what gives the government all of its power. Right. So that there was an actual, like legitimate, thought out avenue for this struck just struck me so that's so i ended up signing up um uh you know i had a little back and forth with the organization you know the grassroots stuff didn't quite didn't quite work for me because of my schedule i started writing and then from the writing we decided to do a show instead just because i think um given that we're it's 2019 that people connect better to video yeah, they 100%. like podcasts. They like audiobooks, right? And so that's how that got started in um in the last few months. It's it's so exciting because I mean you guys really are making a difference. So I, I mean I cannot encourage my audience enough to, to go out of their way and go support your local organizations in your own communities and, and take advantage of the resources and the know-how of We Do Better. So with that Rick, where can folks go ahead, number one, and find you on social media, but where can they go ahead and find We Do Better online? Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook. It's Rick Rivkin, R-I-V-K-I-N. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, you can go to the We Do Better Facebook page. Uh, it's just simply We Do Better. You can go to wedobetter.org, our website. We also have a donation portal at wedobetter.org forward slash donate. And we uh, we just started on YouTube as well. So we, you can also search We Do Better on YouTube and find our, our most recent shows. Perfect. All right. And well, listen, folks, that, that's my challenge to you this week. Please go out and, and not only uh, go support We Do Better financially, but also make sure you go ahead and uh, go to their website, Tell them that the Brian Nichols Show sent you, and then do your part. Go out, make a difference in your local communities. So, with that, folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to give me a follow over on social media at B Nichols Liberty, both on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you would, folks, if you're interested, please, if you could, I, I will say that if you could, go over and, uh, and make a one-time PayPal donation to the Brian Nichols Show because that's honestly how we keep the lights on here. That's how I'm able to keep on bringing guests on every single week that you enjoy it and you've come to know and love. So, uh, if you could, I would greatly appreciate it. That link is in the show notes. So just go over to your show notes, one click, go to your PayPal app it donates right to the brian nichols show 
and I would be internally or eternally, eternally, internally. I both actually, I'm internally, internally grateful. Um, and also, folks, <laughs> we also go over to iTunes if you would rate and review the Brian Nichols Show. That's how we uh, move up the podcast rankings, so folks can find the Brian Nichols Show and hopefully find some of these great guests like Rick from uh, We Do Better. Um, so with that, folks, it's Brian Nichols signing off for the Brian Nichols Show for Rick Rifkin of We Do Better. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.